Good evening and welcome back to Mother's Ruin. Uh, good evening if it is evening. Yes. Uh, good afternoon if it's afternoon and good morning if it's morning. It's evening for us. Yes, it's a podcast. We, we've got absolutely no idea what time you listen to this. <laughs> no, but we're coming to you from Nottingham today. Not Swanee Poos, the yes. land of Robin Hood and... Yeah. Knife crime. <laughs> That is what we understand. Yes, indeed. We're, we're using uh, portable podcasting equipment, so yes. apologies in advance for any... No apology from me. It's Sarah that's bothered about the quality of this. I think it was fine before, but now she's got a new microphone, she's getting all uppity. <laughs> now, speaking of Nottingham, we did something very special last night. We did indeed. We, we, we went did. to the oldest inn in England. Yes, uh, the trip to Jerusalem, I think it's called. Yeah. Yes. And it's built into the castle walls in Beautiful. Nottingham. Beautiful. Went with uh, two very talented comics and one of the comics' wives. We had a lovely time. And uh, it is a very good gin selection. They've got there. Yeah, they've got a great... They had... Uh, Sip Smith's was the gin of the day or yeah. gin of the week Cacao there. Cow and orange. Mm. Uh, I don't want to brag, but we have actually done that way before them. Yes. Just saying. We made our own. Yes. Uh, we, there was Monkey 47. Mm-hmm. There was... Warner what? Edwards, all the Warner Edwards, and uh, botanist Brockman's... Daffy's? Daffy's Gin, yes, yeah. uh, Little Bird as well. Fantastic selection. So, if any and of you... such a good such a good pub. It's beautiful. Atmospheric, isn't yeah. it? Beautiful. It's on the ghost trail as well, if you're interested in ghosts, if Haunted. you believe in ghosts, yeah. But yeah, it's great. So, if any of you ever find yourselves in Nottingham, mm-hmm. do get down to the Jerusalem yep. Inn... I think it's the trip to ye old Jerusalem. Okay. I think that's what it's called. Right, that's a full name. It's right next to the castle. You kind of miss it. Yeah, uh, yeah. Do do pop along, having a great time there. Yep. And coming up in today's episode, we're going to be revisiting gin and crime. That's the theme from Police Squad. Is it? Yep. Okay, that's the theme for today's episode. You've even got the theme Yeah, I don't know it. I was just going along Let's just go to the episode. Let's go to the episode, okay. I'll teach her in the break, don't worry. Well, before we launch into gin and crime, Matthew, mm-hmm. let us take a sip of this Delightful. delicious Roku. You're drinking out of a plastic glass and I'm drinking out of a teacup. Because this hotel is woefully inadequate, mm. yes. But we are drinking Roku and we're having it with a yuzu tonic. That yuzu is a bit special, isn't it? It's very nice. There's something quite sour about it, which yeah. goes very well with the Roku, which has that very slight sourness to it as well. Yeah. It's like um, it's like a really intense Victorian lemonade. Mm, it is. So this yeah. is a Fentiman's Yuzu tonic. Highly recommended yep. to go with the uh, Roku gin. 100%. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We have no ice. It's yeah. incredibly warm. I am so warm. <laughs> the minute it comes out, it just comes out in your pores. Yeah. I think every you time do I drink a, it. You have a glow about you. Oh. Uh, Matthew, you've been gigging tonight, but what have you been drinking tonight? Uh, I was drinking Botanist. Were you? Gin tonight, yes. I've had 
I don't want to say four pints because it sounds unprofessional, but that's <laughs> but what I was pints. getting. Four pints of gin and tonic, wow. yes. Uh, do you know what? I've never tried botanist before. Is that right? It's right. Really? Yeah. Why have I not given you botanist? I don't before? know. That's mad. T- talk me through it. It's Briefly. A, it's a very smooth gin. It's a delightful gin and it's crisp and it it, it goes down with without even... It's barely, barely even noticed. like, yes, yes, it's in and out. Really? So, down your throat like oh, okay. that. Gorgeous gin. All right, well, that's that's going to be top of my list. To try I'll next. get you some botanist. Please yeah. do. Please Let's get do. some botanist. Mm. Let's get some botanist. Four pints. Four pints of botanist. <laughs> yep. So, okay. Now, last time we talked about gin and crime, we covered uh, Mr. Dick Turpin mm-hmm. and his escapades. Richard Turpin. Yes. And gen- in general, uh, gin's relationship to highwaymen in the 18th century. We followed Dick Turpin on his journey from the butcher shop to the gallows. Mm-hmm. And we'll start this story by returning to the hangman's scaffold. Mm. So this time, let's imagine, and it's apt because there's a noisy crowd in the corridor, so let's imagine we're part of the baying mob, yes. clamouring for the blood the of the... That's me. This, is, this is me being a boo, yeah. hang the man. Hang him, yeah. All woman, yeah. All I'm woman not, indeed, not, but, not th- but this time it is a man. It is a man, okay, boo, hang the man. So yeah, the, the, the baying mob at Tyburn would be gathering to... To watch, I, I guess you could call it the 18th century version of Big Brother. Mm. The unfortunate meeting their very public fate. Yeah. Reality television at its worst. Exactly. And it's not as it worst, actually. I think I'd rather watch someone get hung than watch some of the real mm. TV that's going on. Them. Yeah. Love Island, not for me. No. Now, journalists would often write and distribute last confessions to entertain the crowds. And this was a clever way to make money from the wretched souls who were about to meet their end. And the prisoner would often be far too drunk on gin to either confirm or deny the veracity of these so-called final statements. (laughs) God, humans are horrible, aren't they? Mm, mm. Oh, someone's going to die. How can we make money money from from this? Yeah. Now, the man on the scaffold is one Jack Shepherd, another highwayman and a house burglar. Now, like Turpin, Jeff Shepherd started his career on the right path, working as a carpenter's apprentice, but he soon turned to crime, and more notorious than his crimes was Shepherd's Houdini-esque ability to escape custody. He was one of those ones that used to like a slippery customer. Mm, he was, and in his book, The Book of Gin, Richard Barnard says that Jack ran rings around his bumbling captors, escaping no less than four times. Four times? Yeah. That's impressive. It is. If you were a cop, you'd get luck. You're going to get away. Yeah. <laughs> just let him go. Yeah. What did he do? Did he kill people? Yeah, just a burglar. Ah, oh, just let him go. Mm. Just let him go, that's pretty brutal, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, obviously, you know, he did eventually get caught and hung. And that, and Jin was Shepard's ultimate downfall. Now, not because it led him down the wrong path, like as was claimed with Dick Turpin, but because he couldn't stay away from his favourite gin shops. Yeah. As the writer puts it, like a dog to his vomit. He could that not is, help but return. That's a disgusting simile. It is. It is. Isn't it? Mm. True, though. Dogs are true. horrible creatures. Yeah. But I love them. They'll eat anything. Best, best creatures, though. <laughs> we saw two sausage dogs. We did see two lovely sausage dogs. Sausage One dogs. very elderly sausage dog. And a Labrador puffer. Oh, he came and said, I don't want to be my best friend. He did want to be your best friend. It's not fair. No. 
Uh, so back, back to Shepard. Yes, let's he, get back to Shepard. <laughs> he wrote to a friend during his final escape in which he describes a calamitous encounter with a tattletale journalist. He says... Piers Morgan. Well, I didn't know. <laughs> not, that, not that evil. Not that bad. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, he's trying to do the voice. <clears throat> yes. Prepare yourself, I, I went on to Shoe Lane. Oh, I'm so sorry about this. <laughs> but there... Meeting with a bully hack of Where the town. Where was he from? He was a Londoner. Was he? I went on down to Shoe Lane End, but there, Jesus meeting Christ. with a bully hack of the town, he would have shoved the me town? down. Oh, no, I'm not going to do it. No, I'm not no, going to do it. Carry no, on. I'm doing my normal voice. Well, yeah, because that's better. I went on to Shoe Lane, but there, meeting with a bully hack of the town, he would have shoved me down. Ooh. I soon collared him. Then, with his own cane, I strapped him till he was forced to buckle to and hold his tongue. Just beat him up so he'd shut up. Yeah. So his opponent, this hack, turned on his heels and Shepard proceeded on to the next joint to find more gin. By this point, he is fainty and nigh spent, as he puts it. Hammered. Yeah, but nevertheless calls for a hearty dram of Luther and Calvin. Mm. Now, Luther and Calvin was beer mixed with Geneva. Mmm. Mmm. Mm. Interesting brutal. combo. Because we had a sniff, sniff of Geneva to do, didn't we? We did. Oh, we forgot th- to buy we it. We forgot to go back and buy that bottle. Yes, we did. But I really wanted an old Geneva, and this was a young Geneva. Yeah. So, but, Jack says... Having fasted for so long before, I, it soon got to my noddle. <laughs> and ere I had gone 20 steps, it had so entirely stranded my reason that by the time I came to Half Moon Street End, it gave a new exchange to my senses and made me quite lunatic. So, Matthew, I want you to picture this scene, OK? Picturing. This man... Eyes closed, huh? Yeah, right, this man, Jack Shepherd, has filed, sword and clambered his way out of his prison cell Got, at yeah. Newgate. Yeah. No mean feat. Mm-hmm. He's now a free man, having escaped death. And bear in mind, the first real police force wouldn't be established for an- another 25 years. So okay. this man could have gotten away with it, let's be honest. Mm-hmm. And yet, here he is, in his local gin house... Thrashing a journalist with his own cane and getting, as he puts it, out of his noddle on some kind of Geneva-infused dirty pint. I mean, come on, Jack. He's a fool to himself. Come on, Jack. He's not thought that through at all, has he? He's not. He's not. The man's an imbecile. Yeah. He deserves to be in prison. Well, and... Not to die, but he deserves to be in prison. Yeah, and so needless to say, he was caught again. And as we saw at the beginning, was eventually sent to the gallows. But... Poor man. Yeah. For being an asshole. Well, isn't it interesting how Jin was... (laughs) He was so drawn to Jin that he just couldn't stay away. I think that might be my downfall, you know. Do you think so? I think so. Mm. I should have been here much earlier, but I was... Do you want another drink, was it? Yes. Yes, you should because we're recording this at ten to one in the morning on a Saturday night. The oh, podca- here we go. The, the old was ball to be and out chain. Today. The old ball and chain. Where have you been? Why didn't you get a rolling pin that we're behind the door for us? <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, continue on, my yeah. love. <laughs> but it's weird, isn't it, that the the, the harsh nature of the punishment was no deterrent for him going back to the gin shop. No, Jim must. Jim must have had heroin in it back then. Yeah. Oh, they'd never had heroin. <laughs> well, they'd never had spirits, I guess. Yeah. 
But having looked at a number of crimes during this era and various bits of research on the subject, it does seem to be the case that hanging was no real punishment, you know, for, for petty criminals. Well, it's, uh, it says even to the other, the capital punishment's no deterrent. Mm. It's not a deterrent, it's just, it's basically, it's a nationwide revenge. Mm, it is, yeah, it was as an act of revenge, but you, it kind of doesn't really make sense. And it seems from various reports from the era of the gin craze that it had no impact on people's propensity to commit crimes. Um, one Edward Blastock, a highwayman, admitted while on death row that a highwayman runs great dangers for little profit and yet they were still willing to risk death in order to do it. Sounds like my job. Martin Burns. <laughs> still want to risk deaths. To, uh... Great dangers for little profit. Yep, exactly. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. There's two stag parties in the <laughs> I, I got them, I got them. You, you sort them out. Well, yeah. well done, Reid, well done. Now, magistrate and writer Henry Fielding theorised that the sheer regularity of hangings only served to dampen their impact. He pointed out that in Holland, where executions were far rarer and were accompanied by more ceremony, they had a much greater effect. Now, interestingly, Holland, another gin-drinking country or Geneva-drinking country, didn't have the same kind of crime rate and were indeed deterred by the gallows. But our gin-swilling highwaymen weren't. Now, one could say that one of the reasons for this lack of deterrent of the death penalty was that people were desperate. Remember, we talked about Judith Defoe, who killed her child, killed child and, sold in order to, yeah. and sold her clothes in order to purchase gin. You know, the, the ravages of alcoholism um, and then equally things like poverty were driving people to steal bread and food. Uh, you know, absolute necessity. But then again, James Guthrie, who was the resident clergyman at Newgate during the gin craze, observed that in the main, death row inmates were not the most disadvantaged in society. They were often educated uh, often came from regular trades. For example, one George Whedon, a 22-year-old death row inmate, had had a good education, as he put it. He was apprenticed to uh, a bookbinder, but left before finish the, finishing the apprenticeship. He apparently stayed at home, and I quote, stayed at home for some time and behaved indifferently well. But, can you sense a but coming? Uh, Guthrie continues in his report, but haunting gin shops in a certain place of the town, he said they had proved his ruin. He then turned to housebreaking and street robbery for which he was hanged in 1728. <laughs> How much gin do these people drink? I know. And it makes you wonder, like, because, I mean, the stuff back then can't have been, like, very safe. How much could a human being handle? Of that kind of gin. It's quite incredible, isn't yeah. it? Mm. It's yeah. insane. Like, it must be. It must just be ravished their internal yeah. organs. Yeah, yeah. Because it was like it'll be like drain cleaner. Yeah, I'll yeah. Try some impure, <laughs> filled with chemicals. I'd love to try it though. Mm. Just once, just the slug of oldy worldy gin. Yeah. Be incredible. Yeah, oil of turpentine in it. <laughs> yeah. Flawed. <laughs> I, I, you're right, it would be really interesting to know what it tasted like. Mm. 
I would imagine some kind of like, because turpentine had this uh, pinene in it, which is uh, slightly similar to the taste of juniper, which is which is why they put it in. Mm-hmm. So I imagine it to have this kind of slightly uh, antiseptic, yeah. piney taste to it, but coupled with incredibly harsh, the alcohol just rough like alcohol. Tear your eyes out, yeah, it? yeah. <gasps> Yeah, and then if you're unlucky enough to get methanol in it, which we discussed in our mm-hmm. weird science episode, then that was it. One 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 session could could have killed you off. Mm. So it's kind of Russian roulette, really. But you know, back to uh, old George Whedon, this death row inmate. You know, poor old Jin gets the blame again for his downfall. But I think, and this is just my theory, the lure of celebrity probably p- p- played a part in some of these crimes so we heard last time that high women you know they were characterized as these kind of heart-stealing dandies mm-hmm. um, remember we talked about claude duval yeah. who was known to steal the hearts yeah apparently as well as, as, well as like loads of money and yes stuff as well as as well as loads of money um, so they were characterised as these dandies. Their hangings were attended by hundreds of people. And as you put it last week, you know, their hangings even got a review. You yeah. know, <laughs> yeah. from three stars. <laughs> yeah, exactly. From from journalists and biographers. Yeah. So Good they, death. yeah, stars. they'd be there in their white silks, throwing themselves off the gallows. It definitely had a kind of status about it, and you also <laughs> like, you know the diving in the Olympics. Like, oh, it's a double pike. Yeah, uh, back, exactly. Back yeah. And, oh, broken it. He's down. <laughs> he's down. He's gone. Well done. And I've had to hold numbers off for seven, six. Five. <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. But then I guess throwing yourself off the gallows probably would break your neck, which was a much more favourable yeah, death I'd, than the slow I'm, choking. Yeah, you also mentioned last week, Matthew, which yes, Sarah. <laughs> <laughs> That it struck a strange chord that Dick Turpin mingled with the glitterati in the pleasure gardens of Marylebone. Yeah, well, it was uh, the same as uh, like much more recent in the sixties. All the all the baddens used to hang out with all the glitterati when it was the crazy era. Ex- ex- exactly that. Exactly that. And because the crazy one clubs and. Yes, they did. Yeah. They did, and it's funny. I'm I'm going to talk about that in just a minute. Um, and you mentioned that it was it was we it was almost a, equivalent to you know the Yorkshire Ripper hanging out at a royal gala or something. Yeah, yeah. And I think it comes down to this kind of difference in status between crimes. You wouldn't have seen child killer Judith Defoe hanging out in the pleasure gardens of Marylebone with yeah. with the rich and famous, and um, because. You know, similarly as you would, you would see, uh, you would see the Cray twins yeah. of East End London yeah, hanging out with film stars. Hanging out with film stars. You wouldn't see the Yorkshire Ripper yeah. hanging out with film stars. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, because um, it's just that there's a glamour to the crimes that they do, like, which is, I think, preposterous. But uh, it's, it just is like gangsters get legend status. Yeah. In fact, the film about the craze, Legend. starring Tom Hardy yeah. and Tom Hardy, yeah. is called Legend. Yeah, yes. yeah, and yeah. Like, I, like as good a film as it is, yeah. which it was, because Tom Hardy's incredible. Oh, amazing actor! Like, incidentally, Tom Hardy, if you want to be uh, involved on Mother's Rowan, just involved in the podcast, you let us know. Talk, 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 talk. Uh, if anyone knows him, do do get in touch. Let's contact us on Twitter, Instagram, Twitter, Instagram or, or, or any other or at the website. Uh, just uh, Tom Hardy. Any 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 route, please, just do Tom. it, please. Especially your old MySpace, which is hilarious. <laughs> um, 
But um, he was in that, and it, it glorified, and it, it always annoys me. It's like when they glorify gangsters. Anytime people glorify the gangster, and everyone, uh, and my least favorite ones, whether they glorify football hooliganism, as if it's like an mm. honor thing, where it's not. It's just men being absolute arseholes, mm. and that's exactly what it is with the careers: men being arseholes, mm. and they get they get like lionized as some sort of fantastic person yeah well they only hurt their own they hurt a lot of people <laughs> yeah they hurt a lot of people yeah. stole a lot of money and made a lot of people's lives a misery yes and in fact murdered two people yes they did they did um but that you know ronnie and reggie cray would go around in these uh you know these designer suits no, they were um, very smart i mean they were incredible like i mean the story is an, an incredible tale yeah that's um, 100%. I think Ronnie once took a picture of Al Capone to his tailor and asked him to make him a suit Yeah. Um, based on that. I thought Capone was a big fatty, though. Yes, but I mean, I think just mm. in terms of the, the cut and the, yeah, the material. I, I, and... I imagine uh, Capone had a few coins to put together yes. <laughs> for a suit. Yes, yeah. Um, whereas, you know, Reggie would wear... Um, Italian designer suits yeah. akin like Capone, to the movie stars of the time. Yeah, well, Capone was a bootlegger as well, wasn't he? Ran Moonshine Cap- and stuff, eh? Capone was a bootlegger, yep. And speaking of the craze, you know, the craze were big, big, big gin drinkers. And that's why I, I did want to talk. So it's interesting you bring them up because I, I did want to talk about them today. Mm. They ran much of East End London's organised crime rackets in the 1960s. If any of you haven't heard of the craze, you might be... Um, I don't know how famous the Crays are outside the UK. I reckon they're fairly big. Yeah, but they were... Especially with Thomas... Tom our friend, Hardy. Our friend Tomas Hardy yeah. uh, doing it. I, yeah. think, I think Legend might have travelled, uh, done quite well overall. Yeah, yeah. But they they, they were twins. Um, but they were quite different. So uh, Reggie was more of a kind of a charmer, handsome guy. He was a boxer. Whereas Ronnie was kind of seen as this somewhat well, more mentally, unhinged mm, one he the was, way it was it unhinged wasn't he he was a uh, paranoid schizophrenic he was very mentally unwell yeah. I, th- I think um so yeah reggie was said to have consumed a bottle of gin or in cockney rhyming slang vera lynn, vera lynn. a day vera lynn what kind of gin would they have drunk gordon's would have been gordon's it would have been gordon's and i i did actually look into that and it, it was gordon's and and that's not surprising given that this was the 1960s. Yeah. Now, we've talked about the 1960s era for gin before and Gordon's really was the pretty much the only British yeah. gin brand. And they were club owners, so they would have been around gin all the time, you know, cocktails, and Reggie consumed a bottle of Gordon's a day. Good old Reggie. Yeah. And there's one interesting gin-related anecdote where one night Ronnie decided to take action against his associate Mickey Morris. He brought him to the bar that they owned on the promise of a nightcap, apparently, and was greet and Mickey was greeted with a gin and tonic on arrival. And in predictably unpredictable fashion, Ronnie suddenly punched Morris in the face. To which Morris said, "I thought you was my friend, Ronnie." Then Reggie got a hold of him, pushed Morris into a storeroom, pulled out a big hunting knife and pushed it straight through Mickey's arm. At which point Ronnie says to Reggie, do it properly, stick it up in his fucking guts. Now, Mickey survived that particular encounter, but um, 
I mean, he probably never accepted a G&T from the boys no. again. I imagine a G&T wouldn't be the way forward no. after that. Mm. Mm. I remember watching the careers, uh, the one with the, the Spandau Ballet Brothers. Mm. And, uh, yeah, because there's been a couple of films made about them, hasn't there? Yeah, there's the rise of the Crears, there's the Crears, and there's Legend mm. that I've seen. Mm. And in the Crears, the I think it was eighties or nineties, early nineties film with like the, the brothers from Spanish. So I always remember one scene where he goes, "I'll make you smile for the rest of your fucking life," mm. and he, he gave him a Chelsea smile. Oh, where you cut the smile. Well, if, if you're not aware of what that is, you put the knife into the mouth and you push it backwards, Oof. so it gives them the, the scars either side of the Ooh. mouth. Horrible. Mm. Now I always remember saying that as a like uh, fairly young. Mm. And it was the it was the crunch noise when he went through. Oh. I was just like, oh, oh god. But uh, didn't put his off chin. No, no. And remember that by this time, gin had been through a renaissance and it was no longer considered the drink of squalor. It had become a symbol of kind of British colonial yeah. power. Yeah, but I think I grew up through the time where gin was considered a lardy da drink. Yes. For a lady's lardy da drink. Oh, uh, okay. Yeah, it was so, a lady's lardy da drink, then it went to a nana's drink. So you grew up in the, the 90s? Yeah, like through the 80s, through the 90s. Yeah. And uh, me, me gran, she, oh, she loved her gin and mm. uh, she would have one like, more or less day or night. She yeah. did live to like 95. Yeah. You know, she, hey, so gin what, is good for you? Yeah, yeah gin is very good for you. Um, yeah, but during the 1960s, I don't think it necessarily had that feminine kind of mm. reputation. It was seen as a, almost a status symbol because remember what James Bond... Yeah, yeah, other martini. famous killer, his favourite drink, martini. Ma- gin martini, always with Gordon's. Yeah. And Can you imagine now that if you martini Gordon's, you'd be like, see after. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but I think now that you know we're in an era where artisanal and craft yeah. products are seen as aspirational, whereas yeah. bigger brands aren't so much. Whereas yeah. back in the 1960s, the bigger, the bigger brands, brands were would the, have the, been yeah, aspirational. The bigger brands were the ones that you'd go for, right? Yeah, and the craze came from a working class background, but they, they really made a display of having kind of risen above their lot yeah. in life. So, you know, we've talked about the the designer suits, etc. Um, and so, you know, the gin drinking would have probably been part of that. You know, the cocktails, the Gordons. Mm-hmm. It was kind of all a status symbol. And I think that's really interesting. Oh, is it the rappers? You know, where they're on about, and uh, the uh, rappers. Yeah, yeah, like, uh, like a bottle of Cristal and yes. uh, stuff like that. Well, and, you know, people like Snoop Dogg. Who we've talked about that yeah. in, in our gin and music episode, Tanqueray. So yeah, he's, I think he's now the, uh, I think he's now the ambassador he's the brand for Tanqueray. Ambassador. Uh, brand ambassador for Tanqueray. And when asked why he liked Tanqueray, he said, you know, it's 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 a cut above. It's not what the winos would drink on the yeah, corner. Incidentally, right. Snoop, if you want to... If you want to uh, appear on the show, on the show have a really would fancy lovely, time. To, lovely to talk to you. Yeah. That'd be great. Would uh, probably splash out for, like, I don't know, a couple of gins for you. Yeah. Oh, there'll be a gin in yeah, it Yeah, there'll be a gin in it for you, Snoop. Come yeah. uh, if you're ever in England, give us yeah. a shot. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so, you know, we go from this being the drink of the gutter in the 1800s to this being a cut above what those in the gutter are drinking in the 1990s with Snoop Dogg. Um, but we're digressing a bit away from... The craze. The, the craze. But, um, yeah, when asked about his financial situation in 1968's psychiatric report, Ronnie says simply, we get by, you know, but yeah. it, there's that, that kind of... Uh, 
wink wink right. we get by we're fucking loaded yeah, um so it was all part of this kind of display of wealth and so here we see gin it is in the 1960s it's still a drink of outlaws but it's a new kind of outlaw one who aspired to you know the good life and um, cultured and well dressed yeah i mean like i imagine the outlaws lived in like in, in in the woods and yeah that was what was cool then like oh he, he lives off the off the land yeah but now it's like, have you seen he's got he's got a house in yeah. Richmond, you know? Yes, exactly. That, that kind of thing, right? Exactly, exactly. So just another interesting twist in the uh the journey, Jin's journey from uh the gutter to the to the high life via some interesting criminal escapades. Yes. So we'll bring it to an end there. I'm sure there's another gin and crime episode that we can do in future. Oh but we'll definitely do a gin yeah. and crime episode. They're very popular. Yes, they are indeed, yeah, yeah. But for now, that wraps it up. Gin News headlines today. Queen Mother's Ruin Royal Residence launches gin brand. CBD anti cannabis infused gin hits UK shelves. Test batch meets test match. Cricket legend Michael Vaughan makes his own gin. Queen Mother's Ruin Royal Residence launches gin brand. We all know the Queen Mother loved a and and the rest of them. Uh, and now, in her honour, a gin is being made at her former Scottish home in Caithness. That's all right. Mm. That, that's taken a lot longer than I thought it would. Yes, yes. yeah. They were like living off the royal brand. Because uh, Margaret used to love it uh, uh, as oh, well. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, she used to love one. The Castle of May has teamed up with Mainland Britain's most northerly gin distillery, Dunk Bay Distillers, which is just a few miles from the former royal residence to produce the gin. The botanicals used will include those already used in their famous Rock Rose gin. Oh, it's the Rock Rose Company, Rock is it? Rock Rose Company. Oh, nice. We've yeah. got some of them in the house. We, we haven't have. tried them yet. No, we have to. We must try them, them, yes. However, it will also include sweet sizzly, apple mint and bog myrtle. Bog myrtle. Bog myrtle, now. Sounds like a dirty old woman that lives down the end of the street. Oh, it's bog myrtle. Here she comes. I think that's used in Heppel, which we're going to ha- find out a bit more about later in the show. Mm. Yeah. That's cool. Which all grow in the area surrounding the castle. I love when they forage locally. Mm, yeah. Martin Murray, founder of Dunnett Beer Distillers, said apple mint gives a slightly sweeter flavour than the other mints and grows in the local forest. Sweet Sicily. Gathered from the hedgerow has a gentle aniseed flavour. There's oh, a few gins okay. with aniseed, nice. While a bog myrtle from the walls of the castle itself lend a herbal menthol flavour. Quite a minty, uh, licorice Fresh. Yeah, fresh. It's a great gin for a gin and tonic and a slice of orange and grapefruit pear. Who advertises the gin with, it's a great gin for a gin and tonic? Yeah. Of course it is. <laughs> the Queen Mother's love of good beverage was well known. She enjoyed a cocktail of one part gin, two parts Dubonnet. Is that how you say that? Dubonnet. Dubonnet. Du bonnet. <laughs> Top off with a size of limon or orange mm. with the pips removed. Can't have a risk of chalking at that age, <laughs> no, can you? Don't want that. Gold bless her. Gold bless her. Gold bless her. Well, that sounds nice. Uh, some mother, mother, um, Queen Mother's Ruin Gin. Right? <laughs> yeah. One of her official visits, the Queen Mother, who died in 2002, aged 101. Wow. Gin. Just Jen. saying. Yeah. Was surprised by a cheeky host who, instead of offering tea as usual, went, I hear you like gin. She immediately replied, I hadn't realised I enjoyed that reputation, but as I do, perhaps you could make it a large one. Nice. Good on her. Good on her. Good on her. Go bless her. Go, go bless her. Go, go bless her. She's a one of a kind, wasn't she? 
CBD and tea, cannabis infused gin. Eh? It was only a matter of time, wasn't it? Naughty. Mm. After a sudden explosion of CBD-related products in the UK health shops, we've tried it, haven't we? Yes. CBD, and we found zero benefit. Yeah, I've tried it for my chronic migraines, and yeah, yeah. No, nothing. Absolutely nothing. No. Thing is, I've heard, I've got friends who swear by it, mm. and I'm like, whatever works for you, then mm. might just be different biology. Yeah. But if you like CBD, well, why not try CBD and gin? It's CBD-infused gin. It's the new thing. One gin company that has leapt the trend is UK company Top Beverages. Mm. Oh, they must have been up all night. <laughs> thinking of that name. Which distills its products in Scotland, as does many others, and claims to be a leading luxury CBD craft distiller. Mm. I'd like to taste that. Mm. Creating original small batch spirits. Co-founder Safali said... We want to disrupt two steered markets right now, spirits and CBD. In the spirits and CBD world, everything more or less looks and feels the same. Our companies are simply chasing fads. Mm. There's a lot of fad chasing, yeah, right, I right. find, in gin. Mm. Especially with it, like marshmallow gin, yeah. and, uh, gin jam. The wacky, wacky uh, flavours, uh, yeah. Oh, fuck rhubarb. Yeah. <laughs> and gin bath oil. Yeah, but fuck rhubarb specifically. <laughs> We embrace the classic idea, and uh, they came back with, we embrace classic ideas of simplicity and minimalism and combine them with elegance and artistry. Mm. That sounds like a load of words. <laughs> because we know through personal experience that consumers are willing to pay for originality and true craft quality. Mm. Or whatever gets them drunk. Mm, indeed. So I wonder if this has any kind of additional effects. I don't know. Like, if you mm. get pissed... Like off it, and maybe it's a little bit, because mm. stone's one thing, but if you're getting pissed and stone, that's bad. I'm just not quite clear because CB, I, right, CBD doesn't have THC. It in doesn't the, make you stoned. Is, is THC the thing that gets you stoned? Pretty it? much. Yeah. I mean, I mean, CBD can have other effects, such yeah. as kind of pain relief, I believe, yeah. and re- like certain but, relaxing. Again, but, yeah, we dabbed it. Like, what was it? We had uh, we had the dropper. Yeah. You put it under your tongue for, and, like, and we got we got quite an expensive one, didn't we? Yeah. We said, oh, try it for this long. We tried it. Nothing. 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 I had to take ibuprofen at least six times yeah. for me back and my knees because I'm old. But do you know what? It might taste good because I did. I, I did like, I the, did t- like yeah. the taste. I do like it because it tastes like the smell of marijuana, yes. and that is a gorgeous yeah. smell. Yeah. It is a good smell. So actually, not that I had nostril gas, but if you yeah. <laughs> so regardless of the medicinal effect, this could be a really interesting tasting gin. Yeah, the gin is called Brand One. is a navy strength gin as well. Whoosh, and will be limited to just five hundred bottles. Each bottle will be labelled by hand and available in 100 millilitres Italian glass bottles but we'll have a uh, RRP of just £30 oh right fairly accessible yeah that's wise. quite good right? and if there's only 100 uh, 500 sorry see so if we can get our hands on one we should get our hands on one mm. it'll be clear is that in that yeah so that's nice isn't it yeah that's nice what's next test batch meets test match cricket legend Michael Vaughan makes his own drink Mm, another sportsman. Well, I can't tell you how much I enjoy cricket. Because <laughs> Is that because you don't? Because I don't. Because <laughs> if I did tell you how much I enjoy cricket, I'd be lying. <laughs> any any sport that breaks for tea isn't a sport, really, is it? Uh, former cricket captain, Michael Vaughan. Mm. You know Michael. Yeah, Mickey, uh, big, Mickey V. Big V. MV, yeah. Big V. Yeah. No idea. No, I don't know who he is. I don't I'm know. sorry, Michael. I'm Michael, sure you're, you're amazing. I'm sure you're brilliant at you're cricket. Legend. Um, and I'm sure this gin will be good, but we're just, we're just not interested in cricket. We, yeah. 
is to launch his own gin later this year. Vaughan has been a fa- fan of gin for some time. Mm. Join the club, mate. Uh, but over the past few years, it has developed into a passion. He told the Daily Telegraph, because he's trying to sell it. There are so many nice flavoured gins now, it's almost the go-to drink. In winter, I like to drink with a cinnamon stick. Mm, get you. In summer, anything from basil, raspberries, blueberries, to orange and lime. Generally with tonic. Scant details are available as yet, but the brand is to be called Declaration Gin. So keep an eye out for that. We'll mm, keep an eye out for that. We'll do. And uh, we'll test them. We'll see if it's not just a cash-in uh, gin. Absolutely, because who was the footballer who launched some kind of gin? Was it Gerard? It was Gerard. Uh, I was with Gerard. I Liverpool gin and uh, yeah. still yet to try that, but we'll try your cricket gin. Yeah. Yeah. We'll try it over seven days and hopefully something will happen. <laughs> <laughs> gin news! Now, a couple of weeks back, we mentioned that we'd been to a gin festival in Newcastle. Yes, we did. It was at uh, the Wyland Brewery, and uh, there was all of our favourite people there. Yes. It was Heppel, who we absolutely love, and uh, there was Mason's Licence. Gin, and there was Poetic Licence, mm-hmm. and Mason's Gin was there, who now, uh, one of our favourite people, Luke, works there. So we went to see Luke, and then uh, Sophie from Heppel was there, who's a delightful human being. Yes. And she did a talk. She did a wonderful masterclass. She was very good. Now, we did record that masterclass. Yes, we did. And now there are some slightly sketchy sound levels on this, so I do apologise. If you're listening in a car (sighs) or in a noisy environment, you might want to wait until you've gotten home so you can listen to this uh, in in a bit more of a quiet environment. But um, it was a very, very loud room in a Yes, it was. And uh, I do believe at one point the shutters opened behind us. They were very, very loud. And when she mentions unicorn tears... That's me, you can hear laughing very, very loudly. Yes. <laughs> unicorn tears is the devil's work. Yes. Uh, so, it's, it's, but it's got some really interesting stuff. Heppel, and she's a lovely girl, isn't she? She's such a nice person. And Heppel is a gin that we really like. It's oh, a one, real one of gin the best. Gin. I, one of the best. Yeah, um, it's, it's from uh, Northumberland, which yep. we'll find out more about. And it's got something really really special about it so Sophie's going to talk about some of the science that goes into making it uh, a bit about the local area the kind of juniper they use which is an almost unripe green juniper Um, so there's some really interesting sort of scientific-y stuff to be yep. to be heard today, so and we learned just how posh the owner is. Yes, we did, we did. Yeah. So here we go, uh, the masterclass from Heppel. Thank you so much for coming along to the Heppel masterclass. Um, so. I don't know if um, many people have heard of Heppel before or if you know anything about it, nothing about it, um, but Heppel, we're actually a local gin, so we're made really not far from here at all. We're right up in Northumberland, um, just outside of a little place called Rothbury, for anyone that knows it. And we're, we're really quite lucky because um, Walter, who owns the company, he actually owns um, 5,000 acres of wild moor, it's a heather moor and Douglas fir forest up there. Um, it's a really beautiful place. I don't know if anyone's been up walking in Northumberland, but it's just so clean and you just get this real vibrancy from everything that happens in, in Northumberland. 
and um, luckily for Walter, he inherited the land um, and got there and thought, what on earth am I going to do with 5,000 acres of wild moors and Douglas fir forests? And actually, because we're part of the national parkland, um, Heppel itself, so Heppel is a place, and the place is really clean, it's really well looked after, and it's really protected because of that national parkland. I mean, we can't put a stake in the ground without permission first, but it's a good thing because it keeps the land so clean. And because of that, um, we've got lots of different rare plant and animal species that really do thrive at Heppel. I mean, we've got beautiful Douglas fir forests, we've got things like cloud breeze and curly birds and you name it, it's there. But actually, most importantly for us, we've got juniper on the land. So um, at Heffel, we've got one of the largest remaining stands of juniper left in the UK all belong there. Um, and actually, some of them have been around at Heppel for 400 years. So it's actually the juniper at Heppel are older than gin, as we know gin to be in the UK, which is crazy. Um, and when Walter, actually, everyone's got gin, so let's just sip the gin while we go. I think it makes the story feel nice as we're drinking, drink as we go. We're all here to drink gin, so let's drink gin. Um, but yeah, when Walter moved back to the land, he thought, what are we going to do with, with this area? And um, some of you may have heard of a guy called Valentine Warner, and he's um, a real foraging chef, and he's a friend of, of Walter's, and they went out for a walk one day, and they almost hit the head off a Douglas fir branch, tripped over a juniper, and landed in a spring, and they were like, well, we've got all of the components to make gin. You can actually imagine that you've met Walter. Yeah, you can imagine that happening. Um, and yeah, so they decided to, to make a gin, but at the time, all of the gins that popped up had a crazy flavour in them. If you buy the seaside, you put something seaweedy in to make yourself unique, or you picked a random flavour, like unicorn's tears, and it just <laughs> felt like uh, the juniper that is the star of the show when it comes to, to gin has had been lost slightly, and it slightly lost its way. So what we wanted to do was put the juniper back at the heart of our gin. So everything we've done, even we've built the distillery on the land so we can harvest the juniper when it's at its freshest. Um, we've even sort of come up with this wild new technique which focuses on capturing different flavours, to add different flavours into the gin. We've just done everything we can possibly to put as much juniper flavour in here. If you stick your nose in the glass and have a big, a big sniff, it's so fresh. It smells almost really as if you're out for a walk in the wild. It's got a real vibrancy to it. And that actually comes from um, the green juniper that we use. So you may actually have had gin and tonics here where people have put the little purple berries into your gin and tonic. And those berries are the, the mature juniper berries. So they're quite spicy, a little bit savory, and they've got a darker, deeper flavor. To get that berry at Heppel, because one, it's so bloody cold in Northumberland, um, the berries themselves take three years to ripen. So it takes such a long time for the berry to get to that stage. And what happens to the berry on its little journey to, to ripeness? And actually, uh, when they're about a year and a half old, so the young berries, they almost look like um, peas. They look like bright green peas. We've got them 
as you can tell, we're all about green and freshness on the bottle. But those green berries, um, they carry almost like a crisp, crunchy, green apple freshness. And that's what we wanted to, to portray in the gin. Um, so we start off with an amazing distillate. We've got a guy called Chris Garden. And I'm sure everyone's maybe heard of a little distillery called Sipsmith that's out there. Um, that was Chris's first job. So Chris worked there from the second distillation and he's learned how to make London dry gin on a small scale still. Um, it's not easy to say after a few gin and tonics, small scale still. And um, we start off with that. So we start off with copper. Everyone out there should, should talk about copper. And the reason why we use copper in, in distillation in gin is to give the gin a lovely smoothness. But when you distill on, on a copper pot, you distill at such a high temperature, it's almost 80 degrees. If we took those gorgeous green berries and put them in at 80 degrees and let the still run, you're just going to lose the, the flavour of them. You're going to lose that vibrancy. So we actually use a second process and it's called cold distillation. So we bring the temperature right down to about 30 degrees and we can really protect that vibrancy that goes in from the green juniper. Um, we'll also harvest Douglas fir. So if you go to the Heppel stand, it's very green and there's lots of Douglas fir there. But definitely snap off some of the, the needles and give them a smell and give them a taste because Douglas fir is Northumberland's answer to citrus. So we don't have lemons in, in Heppel, but we've got Douglas fir trees. And in those needles, there's a lot of citric acid. So it adds almost like a grapefruity, slightly more tropical citrus to the gin. I definitely think you get citrus in there. Um, we we'll use black currant leaf as well. You can find that on the, on the stand. And that gives a really lovely texture to the gin. Um, Lovage, I don't know if you know Lovage. It's a slightly, um, it's almost like celery leaf. It's quite an old fashioned herb. And that just adds a slight aniseed to the gin. And then we use bog myrtle as well, which is my favourite word in the world. Um, and bog myrtle, it's like something from Harry Potter. But it's kind of a mix between eucalyptus and bay. And that really acts as the savoury element to the gin. I would say it's the only real savoury, slightly spicy character that we have in there. Everything else is all about those lovely, bright, clean, fresh flavours. And then... We didn't stop there, so we thought, we've got two processes now, we may as well make it a third. But actually, the third and final process is really what, for me, makes Heppel stand apart from other gins that are out there. So, um, when you try a, a, a clear spirit normally, they are quite thin. And that's, you know, when I, I describe things from water to full-fat milk. And I would say it's got that water texture, so it's a light-bodied spirit. But actually, um, when you make a gin and tonic, or if you went for a pink grapefruit or a rose lemonade, there's lots of flavours that are trying to combat with the, the gin in there. And we wanted Heppel to really be able to stand up to any flavour you put to it. So whether it was in a classic dry martini, you want a richness in texture and you want that richness in flavour. So we found a machine that's actually used in the perfume industry traditionally. Um, it's got a really long name, supercritical fluid extraction. Again, another word that you cannot say when you've had a lot of gin and tonics. But this machine, what it does is, we'll cram it full of ground up juniper and we'll pump in loads of liquid CO2 until it gets to 3,000 pounds of pressure. So that's like, it would blow up Otterburn kind of pressure if things went wrong. And um, what it does is it squeezes 
the living daylight out of a juniper. So when we've got lovely horizontal Hester, that's a juniper by the way, um, who's 400 years old, there's so much character to the juniper, more than just the berry. You've got the roots, the needles, the shoots. You've got the lovely aromas that you get from juniper woods if you, if you put it on the fire. And this machine extracts everything. It takes out, what it creates is actually something called the absolute. So it isn't an extract, it isn't an essence. An absolute is literally the closest thing to juniper other than juniper itself. So we get the gorgeous oils in there. So if you have a try of the gin, it's got almost like a chewiness, it's got a richness to it, and it really coats, coats everywhere in your mouth, and the flavour just builds and builds, and that for me is where the oil, the, the absolute, really plays its part. So really we're trying to build this picture of juniper. We've got classic gin to start with, we've got that lovely smoothness, there's no sort of burn there, it's warming, but it's not a harshness. Then we've overlaid that with lots and lots of fresh flavours so that green juniper really plays a part there. And then that oil, the, the absolute, that just really reinforces the juniper flavour and it just lets it build. Um, but yeah, so I think I've said juniper about 400 times, probably fresh 400 times, but it really is a fresher take on what for us is the classic. It's a classic... Sort of, sort of like a modern classic, so it's a really classic flavour-wise, but it's done in a super, super modern way. And it's also, I think it's a real celebration of what we've got in Northumberland as well. So for all, you know, there's not very many people there. I think we've got a very, very small, there's two and a half houses at Heckel in the village. But the, the land just, it nurtures the juniper and it's just got those perfect conditions for the juniper to really thrive there. Um, we've got kind of a weird combination of, of soil and water and there's lots of springs at Heppel and they actually, they're the reason why the, the junipers thrived at Heppel for such a long time um, and then that water ends up back in the bottle as well. Um, so it's a nice journey that that's fed the juniper for so long and then it completes the picture when we go to, to make our gin too. But yeah, thank you so much for coming to find out more about Heppel. Hope you've enjoyed the gins that we've got today to try. And if anyone's got any more questions, just head to the, the little stall and, and come and see us there. But thank you very much. Well, that brings another episode to a close. It certainly does, mm -hmm. because that's the end, mm -hmm. and that is traditional. Yeah. Thank you for listening. Yeah, thank you for oh, always. Thank you for listening. We really appreciate all the support you've had, and we we seem to be gaining followers by the minute. So we do. We really appreciate that. Yes, thank you very much. Um, because we started this. It, it's just a hobby. I mean, despite the fact that sometimes it takes over Sarah's life, but it is just <laughs> a hobby, and uh, we really appreciate the fact that everyone's gotten behind it, and it's gone beyond a hobby now to an absolute massive passion of ours. Yes. To the point where everybody we know asks us for recommendations. Yes, and we did get a request from Leanne, uh, a lady from 
St. Louis, Missouri, yeah. uh, home of the South City Gin Club, who now lives in Yorkshire, who asked us for our gin recommendations. We love being asked for gin recommendations. Yeah, we do, because we, we feel cool offering yes. them. Yeah, we recommended... Um, she asked for Matthew specifically, because yeah, you're a super taster. Yeah, because Sarah doesn't yeah. want nothing. <laughs> if it wasn't for me, she wouldn't be doing this. You know? <laughs> for your top few gins, and yep. we recommended Isle of Harris... Isle of Harris, which my oh, so good. Yeah, Monkey Forty Seven. Monkey Forty Seven. Uh, yum yum. Uh, Cotswolds. Cotswolds. Uh, four Pillars. Yeah, and Poetic License. And Poetic License. Yeah. Uh, we, we, oh, we also recommended Mason's. Yeah, Mason's. Which is Mason's a new gin. Favorite. Yeah, new favourite. We tried that the other day at the uh, at the uh, gin show, and there's so many good ones. I tell you what, tell you what I've been enjoying recently. A nice botanist as well. Mm. Just like because it's hard to find like. Like, because your choices are usually if you're in a if you're in a bar, your choices are uh, Gordon's, are Bombay, Gordon's or Bombay, Tanqueray, and Hendrix, and Hendrix, which are all very good gins. Very good gins. But if you get if you get a gin bar that's just got a little few extras, then Botanist is an absolute treat. Mm. I do enjoy that. It's so smooth. It's like mm. cream going down. Mm. Beautiful. Yes, but uh, that, that's my recommendations. And um, if 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 you want to challenge my recommendations, I'd love to hear it. Yeah. Say, no, these are my favourites. Give us your top five. Everyone who uh, listens to this, that's, that listens to my top five and go, the man's a fool. Yeah. Well, let us know why and give us your top five. And we will try And we it. will try them. Yeah. And then I'll... Because <laughs> blatantly you're wrong because I'm like, Jin King. So... Uh, the, jing. Jing. Short. I'm the Jing. <laughs> so uh, do let me know. And yeah. we'll, uh, we'll have a challenge. Yes, we will. And similarly, if you're new to gin and you want some recommendations, yeah, feel always let ask. us know because tell we, us what your favourite is, and we'll we'll give you a yes, similar. And especially Matthew, because Matthew is an, has got an incredibly uh, sophisticated palate. Now I've stopped smoking. Yeah, <laughs> I am like a five-year-old who doesn't re- isn't really quite as good as picking out. Uh, and is rubbish at colouring in. Yes. Yeah. But we do have a gin cabinet which has got over a hundred gins in yeah. it. Um, which means that we do have a lot of gins at our disposal that we yes. can uh, talk you through. So anyone wants some advice, give us a shout and we will be very, very happy to help. Be like a problem page for a gin drink. Oh my god, yes. Yeah. Agony like dear Deidre. Yeah. But uh, dear dear dear, uh, dear Mother's Ruin. Dear Mother's Ruin, yeah. Yeah. Any gin-related problems, give us a shout. Yes, because even if we can't answer it ourselves, we probably know We know someone that can answer it, yeah, 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 yeah absolutely. Yeah. So that's uh, another episode, uh, In the Can. Yeah. In the Can? In the Can? That's a film term, but in we'll take it. It's in the bag. Mm. In, in the highball glass. Yes. That's another episode in the highball glass. Thank you for listening, and we'll hear from you soon, hopefully. Chin-chin. Chin-chin. Mother's Room Podcast was written and performed by Matthew Reed and Sarah Dunley. Theme tune written and performed by Holly Jazz Kotsier.